All right. Well, welcome back to Testimony Tuesday here on the VBPH Sermon Podcast. It is a great privilege and honor once again to be joined by another pastor from our fellowship. And uh, this week we are joined from all the way on the other side of the planet, exactly 12 hours apart and a challenge for us to uh, uh, coordinate our timing. But uh, I'm very appreciative to have Pastor Gregory Sinopan with us. Welcome to the show, sir. Hey, Adam. Thanks for having me, brother. Well, it's a pleasure. We appreciate you and taking the time. Uh, it's 8.30 p.m. where I'm recording this. That means it's 8.30 a.m. So you're fresh right. fresh off of a prayer meeting and a coffee and uh, <laughs> ready to go for the day. I'll be winding That's... down throughout the interview. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Just slowing down. I'm picking up pace, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, very good. It's been a pleasure to get to know you a little bit uh, as I've met you in conferences over the years in Chandler. Yes. Um, and uh, I'm really looking forward to getting to know a little bit more about you in this inter- interview. So um, for those who don't know you, why don't you give yourself a little introduction and let us know who you are and where you're serving. Well, uh, my name uh, is Gregory Sinopan. That's my full name. Um, my, uh, my wife, Yen, uh, we're currently in Subang Jaya, Malaysia. Uh, that's a town in Malaysia that's not far off from the capital city. Uh, we've been here now from 2010. So it's about 12 years that we've been pastoring the church. Uh, and so from the time that um, the, the, the humorous thing about it, we've always said that, you know, God always has a sense of humor. Uh, and the reason I say that is because the city that I'm pastoring right now was the city that I actually was born into and the city that I, was, that I grew up in. Uh, but we got saved about 15 minutes away from where I'm at right now. And uh, so we used to travel down to church and uh, attend services there. But little did I expect that one day um, I was going to get sent out uh, back to the city that I was born into and born in. And, um, you know, God has just been doing a great work and helping us through the seasons uh, over the past 12 years now. So it's been exciting. It's been a fantastic ride. Uh, I'm of an Indian descent. Uh, My mom and dad, uh, they're both Indians. And so if you uh, went down that lineage about my third or my fourth generation, my great-great-grandmother was from India. Uh, They would be down out in South India. Uh, And so uh, that would be just a a little bit of a background of um, where I come from. Okay. Well, we already have something in common because uh, I've been serving here in our church, Virginia Beach, since the same year, 2010. Wow. Yeah. Uh, us old timers, uh, we gotta Absolutely. we gotta stick around. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's it, man. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, that's yeah. wonderful. Well, I appreciate that already. And um, so, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you grew up and what mm-hmm. life was like for you as a as a kid? Well, you know, uh, growing up in my family, um, I was I had a pretty comfortable life. I would say my parents, you know, uh, were doing fairly well. Uh, most of mo- most of your working adults' lives, and uh, for the most part, you know, I I had a good home where I grew up in. Parents generally brought us brought me up in a in a good religious way. We were Roman Catholics uh, before mm. we became uh, Christians, uh, and so every Sunday it was church. Uh, every Sunday after church, you know, we would spend some family time together. So just that normal, uh, loving family, 
you know, always being around together with one another. This was just the culture we, that I grew up in. However, um, uh, as time went on, uh, my dad, um, you know, being who he was, he got, he was uh, very successful in business. And so as time went on, he started mingling a little bit more with friends and people around him, uh, got into the habit of drinking, uh, began to get sucked into alcoholism. Uh, and so down the road, um, my mom, you know, being who she was, she made some, you know, a very hard demand on him saying that, listen, if, if you're going to stay married, you're going to have to put a stop to drinking. And so she put the foot down, she put her foot down, you know? And so, um, when it came to that, when it came to that part of, uh, uh in my life, um, I had been, uh, through some things that just affected me uh, mentally uh, to some degree. And so we're just trying to cope. So I would go to school, you know, and, and um, I would begin to slowly, you know, develop a habit of telling lies. Um, I began to steal. I began to uh, uh, get into a culture where, you know, I began to uh, uh, speak words of vulgarity. It became a lifestyle for me because I was beginning to observe things that were happening in my home. Uh, my dad was becoming more and more abusive uh, and in the verge of all of this, I would try to find some solace with friends. And it was at this stage in my life, I was probably about 11 or 12 years old, uh, that I began to explore with pornography. Um, and back in those days, man, they had a chat room, you know, um, I don't know if you remember, you know, old time, you know, MIRC 32. And oh, so this wow. was that's that's a throwback. <laughs> wow. And so if you know, you know. My, you know, you know, exactly. <laughs> so my cousins and I, um, you know, we were just notorious, you know, with sin. And so we would be on these chat rooms, you know, chatting away and uh, just, you know, just delving deeper and deeper into into sin. But little did I realize that those were my coping mechanisms at that time. Uh, the abuse that I was observing taking place at home, um, the culture, you know, even though we were a loving family, yet in the midst of that, uh, there was to some extent a form of condemnation, a form of verbal abuse. Uh, to some degree, there was some form of physical abuse. I was seeking the acceptance. I was seeking the approval um, of my mom and dad, trying to do the best I could. And so the only thing that I found that would help me cope through all of that was uh, hanging out with my cousins and, you know, being on a chat room, um, uh, being in bondage to things that, you know, uh, violated my mind in, in pornography. And so this just went on further and further. I went deeper and deeper into it uh, until I actually got saved. In 2001, when I was at, when I was 13 years of age. Wow. Okay. So that's a very early salvation experience, but it seemed like right. it was very clear to you. There was a there was a line in the sand. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, uh, just a couple of questions. Um, do you have brothers and sisters? I have a sister. Uh, she is uh, six years younger than me. Uh, okay. And that she's just just a sister. That's yeah. 
Yeah. So often that that means uh, with a little bit of separation like that, it means that you had two very different um, childhoods growing up, almost like two firstborns. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There was. There was. Yeah. And so um, being from a Roman Catholic background, um, do you remember before the salvation experience, do you ever remember like understanding what was happening or the gospel or uh, the story that was in the Bible? Uh, you know, it, it's, it's exactly like, like you it's going through the religious calisthenics, you know, um, I never quite understood anything that the priest ever preached or, you know, ministered to from the pulpit. Uh, I never understood why we were doing things that we were doing. Um, this was in fact, in fact, maybe later down the road, I'll share this a little bit with you, but it was something that I just did in the process of just following what my parents were doing. Uh, it was just a religious aerobic, basically. Uh, I understood nothing about the Catholic faith, at least up to that point as a young man. But before I moved into Christianity and before I moved into uh, uh, um, having a conversion experience with God, um, obviously I began to understand better that there was a lot of falsehood in that and there was truth in here. And that was what helped us make that decision. But to answer your question simply, Adam, no, there was a lot of things I didn't quite understand. I just went through the religious calisthenics because my parents were doing it for the most part. How common is the Roman Catholic or Catholicism there in Malaysia? Um, you know, it's it's quite it's it's fairly a large uh, amount of followers here in Malaysia. We have quite a number of churches in Malaysia, uh, and they are and and they are large in numbers, uh, but not as predominant as you know Muslims, not as predominant as Buddhists. Uh, there is. Maybe I'll put it this way. They say that there's only about 5% of Christians in Malaysia. And so we have about 32 million people in Malaysia. So that would give you a little bit of an idea that that 5% number uh, would not be way, uh, way too much. So what, what's the percentage of Christians versus Muslims there? Uh, I think they've said that in terms of Muslims, there's about 70%. Wow. Out yeah. of the 32 million. Uh, and then uh, there's about 25% Buddhists and then about 5% Christians while the wow. others are in between. So you, uh, uh, whether Roman Catholic or, or uh, Protestant church, uh, you are yeah. the, the vast majority among a, a very different culture around you. Yes. Yes. Indeed. Okay. indeed. So I'd love to hear about how uh, you came to Christ. So, yes, you know, back in 2001, um, we were actually on a holiday and uh, we were on a holiday with my my uh, uncles and aunties. You know, that's what they call them here, at least, you know. <laughs> and so um, while we were on a holiday, uh, my uncle, who had been attending the Potter's house, uh, began to just share with us the gospel. And why why I'm highlighting that was because it was such a unique thing at that point in time because my uncle, for the most part, was never really saved. He never got saved. He was still an alcoholic. He was still drinking and he was still partying. And, you know, this was his lifestyle. He believed in, you know, being able to make deals by socializing and, you know, doing business deals by socializing. So to hear him say 
you've got to come to this church was a turning point. It made us wonder what is there in this church that he would speak so highly about. Now, let me take a few steps back. Now, it was at that point when Pastor Roy Sablaski, um, he had not come into Malaysia, but Pastor Stacy Dillard was actually at that point a missionary in Malaysia. Pastor Dillard and Daphne were missionaries in Malaysia. And so at that point, my uncle, who had been attending the church, spoke extremely uh, well about the church and just the ministry that Pastor Dillard brought every service. He said, you've got to come. You've got to hear this man preach. You've got to hear him. And so, you know, with that, all that curiosity in our minds, we actually came to church. We said, mm -hmm. okay, you know, on your invitation, we're going to come. And so we came. But I'm telling you, man, uh, the thing that really held us back at the end of the day was the stronghold of religion. Mm -hmm. Because we loved the church. We enjoyed the preaching. We loved the ministry. Uh, but one thing that held us back was the fact that what are we going to do, you know, when, when it comes to, you know, Roman Catholics believe in confirmation. They right. believe in the Holy Communion. They believe in the, uh, you know, the, the marriage and, and, and this is the sacraments, all of the sacraments. Exactly. Yeah. And so they believed that these things were necessary. And so in my mom and dad's mind, you know, at that point in time is how are we going to tell the family? And so they were so reluctant to move on. So what we did at that point in time was we would go to the Catholic church in the morning. And then immediately after we finished service, we would rush and head down to the Potter's house and then attend service here and then come back in the evening and then attend the evening service. And so this went on for a few months now. Wow. Uh, we, we loved it. We wanted to know more about Christ. and we. But what was the turning point? The turning point was simply this. One day, uh, we ended up going late to church. And so, uh, uh, you know how it is in the Catholic church. It's huge. They have an outdoor area. There's a parking lot and all of that. I don't know how it is there, but that's at least how it is here. And so, as we were walking into church, um, we observed and we noticed our surrounding and there were people who were literally just standing outside the building, way outside, and they were, you know, with their cigarettes, they were puffing away and uh, just having no sense of reverence for the preaching, mm. for God and for the church. And that became the turning point. It was right there that my uh, parents decided that, you know what, we're not going to go on with this any longer. Um, if this is going to change us, then this is where we're going to go. And that was mm. the Potter's house. And so we went to, we begin, we, we drew that line right there and we said, no more are we going back to the Catholic Church. It was what we saw that took us away from it. And we decided at that moment that we were going to go and we're going to start committing our lives to being a Christian. Wow, that's that's uh, that's great because uh, I was just yesterday in our services. I preached a message on Sunday morning, uh, kind of mm -hmm. uh, directed at um, the ha Halloween uh, celebration in our culture and how it's just so uh, opposite of the things of God, right? And yeah. so, and I was amazed at the reaction. I had I had about five or six people come up to me after the service and approach me. And they said that we really appreciate what you said because the whole angle was 
you know, Christians are supposed to be different than the world. Absolutely. Christians are not supposed to be participating in all the same, um, you know, customs and traditions of the world. And this is exactly how in the Old Testament that God made yeah. his people uh, different from the cultures around them. And he said, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to do the same practices and worship the same idols and wear the same clothing and, and even the same language. You're, you're not going to be involved in those things because I want you to be different than the world. Exactly. And so uh, what was amazing to me, the commentary that came back is we're so sick of, uh, you know, when we've attended other churches, that was the thing that we noticed that they're just the same as everybody else, that if wow. you f follow them home and observe their life, they're no different than the sinner who lives next door. And mm -hmm. so that's what I'm, that's what I'm hearing is the difference in your life also, or at least in your parents, they, yeah. they maybe even subconsciously could understand that, that the, uh, the people that were attending the Roman Catholic church, that their lives were just the same as everyone else. Yes. Yes, indeed. And so for me, what was the turning point is, like I said, when, when we were at the Roman Catholic, when we were Roman Catholics, uh, I would just go to church because it was something that was mandatory in our home. And besides, you know, if you were not in church, they called it a form of a sin. They had the venial sin and the mortal sin. And so by you not being there, you have committed a form of sin. And so in our minds, it was just to keep ourselves in check as a religious person. That, you know what? I did my obligation. I fulfilled. I checked the card. That is all it was. But in terms of depth and truth, um, we had very little understanding about why we were following Jesus. We had very little understanding about why we were doing what we were doing. And I would say, man, you know, we were reasonably good Catholics. I mean, we had gatherings at our home with people coming over. Um, my mom, at least, was a person who truly desired to know the truth. Yet, she was deceived by all that was going on. But what was the turning point for me? One day when I was in service, I remember as pastor was preaching, um, I'm in service and I knew that beyond a shadow of a doubt that I needed to get my heart right with God. That it wasn't just my parents and what they were doing essentially that mattered. But the salvation, just like what Paul says, you work it out with fear and trembling. It's of your own personal accord. And so it was at that age of 13 that I began to check my heart and I knew at that age I was bound by pornography. I knew at that point in time I was bound with lying and deceiving. I was bound by vulgarity. You know, every time I would, you know, words that would spew out of my mouth were words were just disrespectful and dishonoring. And I realized at that juncture that I needed to know Jesus. It was more than just my parents. It was more than just they taking me to church. I needed that relationship with God. And I lifted my hands. It was the 18th of March, 2001. I remember it was a midweek. Uh, I lift, or it was a Sunday night. Um, uh, I lifted my hands and I gave my life to Christ. And um, it was so radical that I got home, you know, back in those days, man, we used to have CDs, you know, where that's, that's, you're going to lose the Gen Zers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so 
And so I, I remember feeling so convicted. I mean, pastor never spoke to me about it. He never approached me and said, and I've just been going to church for about a month and a half. But I felt conviction in my heart that I needed to deal with these things in my life. I made, up, I made my mind up. I said, I'm not going to listen to these type of songs anymore. I, I got rid of them. I made up my mind that I'm going to get rid of, you know, whatever materials I had that gave me access to pornography. I, I began to go to school. I, I, I began to cut away from friendships, relationships with people that I knew that were not going to help me in my walk with God. And so uh, these decisions followed quite quickly after my salvation and after I made that confession to Christ. Wow. So um, this sounds like it was, um, you had your own personal experience, but it was in, in the midst of your family also having having a, a change of heart and leaving the yes. Catholic Church, and that's no small thing, uh, and, and becoming part of the, the Potter's House. So uh, maybe you can shed a little light on what, what that did in your family. What, what was the, dyma- the dynamic happening at home? Yeah, so, you know, it was, it was very powerful because um, when my mom and dad got, I think we got saved like weeks apart. So my dad was very reluctant about getting saved. He was still very afraid and consumed about what would my family say because we come from that religious background. And so my whole family... Roman Catholics. And so, you know, they're going to they're gonna be against us. They're going to despise us. Uh, we cannot take this lightly. And so those were the concerns running in my parents' mind. But it came to a point where they made up their mind because somewhere when they saw these things taking place in the Catholic Church, it led them to go deeper into it. And so I remember calling up the Catholic priest. I was just all excited, you know, radical. And I asked him a question. I said, hey, um, I want to know, where does purgatory appear in the Bible? And so to my amazement, Adam, it was that they not only didn't offer me an answer, he avoided my question. Mm. He just kept pushing it away. So this became like a turning point for my parents. Where they said, no, that, that's, that's very questionable now. How is it possible that you touch on it, you speak on purgatory, you speak on the, you know, when someone dies, you would see them go to eternity and then offer them masses and all of that. And you believe in this, but you cannot actually give us an answer to it. So every time I would call him up, he would say, you know, I'll come back to you. I'll come back to you. He was just avoiding the question. But this became a turning point for my parents then, which they said, you know what, if they don't know the truth, how is it that the blind would follow the blind? Mm-hmm. And they made up their mind. And so my dad, um, at that point in time, uh, decided that, you know, uh, this is the way we should be going as a family. And he decided to uh, denounce Roman or rather renounce Roman Catholicism. And then they made that shift. And they started going down this path. But it wasn't an easy thing. No, I imagine not. They counted the cost and um, they decided this was the direction they want to go. Wow. So uh, tell us a little bit about what was happening in the environment of the church with Pastor Dillard there. What what kind of, uh, I mean, was, was there a lot of people getting saved at that time? 
yeah, it was one of those seasons, man, where um, people were just coming in and getting locked in and people were actually getting saved. But I think what was really notable to us was the standards that the church held on to. Uh, there was such a culture in the church that it wasn't just religious. It was people having genuine relationship with God. That there were people who were involved. There were people who were participating in ministry, doing something for God on the grounds that I have to make a sacrifice to serve. I have to make a commitment to serve. That was so captivating to us because that was a rarity in all our lives. That was a rarity. So we saw that happening. And I think when we came to church at that stage in time, um, uh, it was just at the juncture where Pastor Dillard was setting all of these things in place. And there was a lot of uh, dynamic in terms of people getting involved, people participating. There was such a buzz in the air that people were just excited to do something for God in the midst of all of that. That was the captivating factor that made us, you know, so convinced that there must be something here mm -hmm. because people were excited. People were like, you know, Sunday morning, they're in church, Sunday night, they're in church. And then Monday, we would go on outreaches. And then Tuesday, there was nothing. It was like, why are we not doing anything? You know, we should be doing something on Tuesday night. Then Wednesday, you got midweek service. And so it was just like, it was just a buzz. Things were just happening. And, and I think that was the kind of environment we, we got saved into. Yeah. Um, now, explain a little bit about the timeline for those who don't know, because um, it was Pastor Campbell who originally came to Malaysia and pioneered the church there. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And, and so he was there for a time. And then um, but you, you came a little bit after and then he, he came back after yes. a while. Yes. Yes. Now, so, um, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just curious. What, what do you remember from, from the timeline? Um, you know, the, the, the years and the dates may slip my mind, Adam, but from what I can, what I can uh, remember up to this point is that uh, in 1988, when Pastor Campbell came down to Malaysia, he started the church. Uh, between 1988 and 1990, shortly after that, Pastor Campbell had left to back uh, to the States. And then there was a local pastor that took over. But somewhere in 97, 98 is when Pastor Campbell had to come back to re-establish re the church again. And so it was in that period in time when a lot of things began to happen uh, in the fellowship in Malaysia. And uh, Pastor Campbell had to establish things back again in 97, 98, 99. And then it was following that that we had another pastor from Australia come in, John Howard. Uh, John Howard Evans de Maine, he came in, he was here for about six months. Uh, this was probably into the early, early 2000. And then that was when Pastor Stacy Dillard came in and took the church from 2000, 2001 onwards. Mm -hmm. So a lot of pastoral changes between those periods in time. Uh, uh, but uh, essentially, we got saved in 2001 when Pastor Dillard was here. Yeah. Well, and any, anybody who knows Pastor Dillard, his preaching, he's just such a unique personality and uh, Daphne. Yeah. And I'm sure they brought such a, an excitement and uh, just, a, you know, the presence of God wherever they went. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was powerful. You know, the, the environment we were in uh, at that point was just dynamic. Man. It was dynamic.
It mm-hmm, was uh, mm-hmm. it was what captivated us uh, and just leered us in. You know, in fact, you know, you're speaking you're speaking about that. You know, one of the things my wife and I have always pondered, we've always asked the question. You know, because when we got saved, uh, you know, I know we speak so much about following up and you know working with people, discipling, and all of that. But essentially, there was something that just captivated our hearts that I wanted to be like my pastor. I wanted to follow his footsteps. I, you know, and I think it was just the dynamic of salvation that made me look up to a man and say, you know what, that's the guy I want to be like. And I began to align myself. I didn't, uh, no one had to tell me, and I'm not, not that I'm saying that that's not important. We should be following up with people. We should be discipling. We should, but I'm just saying that in my own personal life, it was just that dimension that I sensed. I wanted to do something for God. I got saved. I wanted to live for God. And I said, you know what? I want to follow after the heart of what my pastor is doing. And that was just it. Yeah. And early on in your life too, you were 13 when you get saved. And yeah. so you, you spend your teen years really getting serious about your call to follow Jesus. So yes. what, what does that look like for you? What, how did it progress in the church there? What, what were you so, involved in? So uh, for the most part, because I got saved when I was in high school, uh, for starters, you know, going into high school at, you know, at that age, that was when, you know, you're, they're exploring and experimenting all kinds of things that are, you know, that are transpiring in the school. And so there are a lot of decisions that I had to make, you know, stands that I had to make, you know, in fact, um, choices, you know, friends that would call on you to go out and, do certain things and I've had to draw that line. But essentially it was my involvement in church that made me just sense um, this is what I want to do for God. And so uh, we were doing a lot in church at that point. I mean, we were involved in drama. We were involved in worship. Uh, we were involved. Uh, I, for the most part, you know, was involved in uh, sound and I was handling the sound at that point in time. Uh, that was just generally the, the contents of what I was doing. But besides, amongst all the other things that we were doing, we were following up. Uh, we were on outreaches. Uh, we were in prayer every day. And so these were essentially the things that really kept me uh, in check uh, and helped me to survive through those high school years. But I think what was the standout for me essentially was the fact that one of the things that really captivated me when I came to church was was the fact that people would wake up in the morning and come and pray. And so what's, what stood out to me was that when I got saved, that was one of the things that really became a commitment for me. Because I had to leave for school every day at 6.30 in the morning. But every day I would wake up at 4 and I would spend time with God in prayer. Wow. And so that was my commitment every day uh, as a teenager, as a young man. I woke up, spent time with God every day in prayer, spent time reading the Word of God. I would go to school. I would come home at 2 p.m. School would finish by 2 p.m. those days. I would get home. I'll have, a, I'll have my lunch. And by 3 p.m., I would go back into my room. I'll lock the door and I'll speak to God again. I'll pray. Wow. And uh, I'll just spend time praying. Uh, and this was just a lifestyle. I 
just caught on to it. I'll spend time for an hour and then I'll do my homework, do whatever else I needed to do. And then, you know, go out, play football, cycle, whatever, you know, for the day. Uh, and so this was just my lifestyle. And this was and then and then go to bed at 7 p.m. No, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Probably about 10, 10, 10, 30, 11 at night, man. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, to be honest, that's very unusual to for a teenage boy to uh, yeah. to be waking up at four in the morning because, you know, your bodies are still growing. You know, you have, you have all of that, but you, um, you know, uh, this is what we were talking about before. This is different than the world. This is different than others around you. And you were willing to uh, be, uh, can we say, even weird. You were willing to be out from the crowd because because that was, you know, what God had called you to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And And it was that spirit in church that, like you know, you were saying earlier, you know, what was the what was the environment? What was the atmosphere? It was that present in the church that made us feel that we cannot be stagnant. There was a culture that we we, we felt at that point in time that we cannot remain the way we are. We've got to get better. We've got to excel. We've got to accelerate this. And so that drive was what really became a conviction to me. Uh, that, you know, we've got to do something. We've got to go out. We've got to outreach. And so on days that there was just nothing going on in church, we would take some flyers, go out on the street. You know, we would go preach, share the gospel with people. It was just in us something, you know, just that conversion experience changed us. It changed wow. us. So I imagine somewhere along the way, there is a, a girl that catches your attention. <laughs> Because, I knew uh, we were going to get to that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there's a thing. You, you mentioned the standards of the church, and one of the standards is that uh, we, we encourage young men to get married and get married young. And yes. so, uh, yes. well, tell us that story. How did that happen? So, so you know, Adam, it's a rarity because uh, in Malaysia, or even just the Asian culture, for someone to get married young, it's an odd. It, it's, a, it's a weird thing to do, like you said. You know, it's odd. You just don't get married young in Malaysia or even in the Asian culture. So then again, I was that weirdo because I got, <laughs> married, I got married when I was 21. Yeah. So, so I got married the moment, you know, it was the legal age to get married. And then I'll, I'll share a little bit more with you when we got sent out uh, later down the road, uh, late, later into the podcast. But my wife, Yen, uh, she came into church in 2002. So I got saved in 2001. She came into church in 2002. Now, she came to church because there was a lady who was working at her office, her colleague at that time, who shared with her about, again, you know, that, you know, we have a pastor here, you know, you need to come to church, hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But my wife had a, had, had a, a, a medical condition at that point in time. Uh, she had a lump on her neck. It was like a cyst. It was growing on her neck. And so, um, you know, out of desperation, she comes to church. And when she shows up to church, Pastor Dillard prays for her. And uh, she believed God. And the next day or several days after that, she goes in for a medical checkup. And the doctors actually say, it's not there. You don't have to perform any surgery. You don't have to perform Amazing. operation. So she's from a Buddhist descent. She's from a Buddhist background. Now, she's convinced that it was Jesus who healed her. And it was that that became a turning point in her life. 
she started coming to church. She got locked in, got saved, and she started living for God. And so that happened in 2002. And so we we quite um, we we worked alongside in ministry a lot. I mean, she was involved with worship. Uh, I was involved with sound, and so there was a lot of communication here and there. Uh, but we never really got to know each other until I was closer to finishing off my high school, which was in 2005. So in 2005, uh, we got to really get knowing each other. We started talking and said, you know what, why don't we give this a shot? And so it was moving forward into that, that we really decided that uh, we wanted to get married and uh, the rest is history. Wow. Wow. What a, what a, a great story. Um, so did you, did you know from early on that, uh, that God was leading you to pastoral ministry? Yes. Um, in fact, um, it was probably in the very early years of my salvation, man. Um, I remember pastor Allen was now my pastor and the leadership in Malaysia, uh, and another young man back in, uh, back at that time, uh, took me out for lunch. And we were spending time together and we were just talking. He was following up, you know, with me and we were just talking and life, you know, we were just talking about life and all of that. But something, something really hit me hard at that point. And I knew that God had called me at that point to preach the gospel. And I wasn't quite sure. I wasn't quite clear about it. But I began praying. I began asking God, God, if this is what you want me. And I'm 13 years old at this point. You know, it was probably six months after my salvation. Wow. I said, God, if this is what you want me to do, you have to show me. You have to show me. And in my quiet time, while I was praying, I'm just spending time with God in prayer uh, in my room. And all of a sudden, I begin to feel led. I'm, read, I'm reading Matthew chapter 10, verses 7. And, and uh, God spoke to me. Uh, in that passage where you need to preach, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And and that did something to my heart. It was it, it kind of bore witness in my heart, you know. And, and forgive me if I quoted the wrong scripture, but I believe it was Matthew chapter 10, verse 7. But it was clearly repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that was the scripture that God gave me at that point. And then the second scripture that God spoke to me was so clear as day, man. It was so clear as day. He said, let the dead bury the dead. Mm -hmm. You go and preach the gospel. Go and preach the kingdom of God. And I remember running to Pastor Allen, and I remember running to this other gentleman at that time. I said, hey, I feel God's calling me to preach. And it was at that stage in time that it became so clear to me that this was the direction God was heading me into that I, you know, it just, it just became so real that a desire in my heart was birthed. I wanted to write sermons. I wanted to preach. I wanted to find avenues where I could speak and share the gospel with people. And it became more and more real to me. So at that point, um, Pastor Dillard, who was here, he, um, I shared it with him. And then he said, you know what, you need to write a sermon and, and bring it over to me. So I wrote him the sermon and I would laugh at it today, you know, if I look back at that sermon, you know, but I remember the title of the sermon, You Must Be Born Again. That was the title of the sermon. And so I showed him the sermon. And so he says, okay, you know what? One day I'll give you, you know, you'll get a chance to preach it. And uh, it was there. That was it. Pastor looked at it. He, he brought some direction to me. And then we moved on from there. Then Pastor Roy Sablaski came in in 2003. And um, it was the first time I was given a chance to preach at a Saturday night scene. 
Wow. And so I get to preach my first shot, man. You know, I preached my first shot. And then it was after Pastor Roy left that I believe Pastor Allen took over in 2005. And uh, was it 2000 and 2005 was when Pastor Allen took over. And it was somewhere in, at my 15 or 16 years old that I got my first time. I, I got my first chance to actually preach from the pulpit. And he gave mm -hmm. me an opportunity to preach a sermon from the pulpit. And I remember the sermon I preached. It was a sermon that you are making a stand for God because that was really my life testimony. It was me making stands uh, through the worldliness, the carnality, the music, my friends, the people I was going to mingle around with, just one stand after another stand. And so I preached that sermon. Uh, and that was when Pastor Allen was then my pastor. So different pastors had different roles they played in my life. You know, they developed me differently. They did something in me. Uh, and it was in that stage and in that point in life that I knew I was called. Uh, at a very young stage of my Christianity, but I wanted to do something for God. It was there, it was real, and I just mm -hmm. went on pursuing it. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, and obviously, you you began to uh, date and then got married to to your wife Yen, and she she was in on this also. I would imagine. Uh, you 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 got cut off there, bro. Can you oh. just say that again? So she also had a knowledge that you wanted to become a pastor oh, yeah. at some point. And so yeah, yeah. she was Absolutely. very supportive of that the whole time. Yeah, because essentially one of the questions I popped to her, you know, before we even we even uh, decided to go out was, you know, listen, I feel I, I feel stirred um, to go into the nation of India. It was, it was something that was so burning in my soul, man, at that time. And I remember, you know, watching those world evangelism videos. This was back when uh, Dan was there. Dan Rubianis was in India. Right. And I remember, man, you know, just watching those videos. And, and as a disciple, there were moments I would, I would have to be in church and, you know, we'd be doing things in church. And uh, I would play these videos just to watch what God was doing in India. And I would be so moved, you know, by you know, just looking at what, and I felt that urge and that calling that this is where God, you want me to go. So knowing that in my heart, I, I asked her that question. I said, listen, we're going to go out. Uh, you know, I'm called to preach. I want to preach the gospel. This is what I want to do. And God's calling me, and I, you know, God's calling me to India. She says, I'll go. And I knew it was not just this emotional notion where she was just saying it because it was what I wanted to hear. I knew she was saying it because she had a direct conviction that if this is what God wants us to do, then so be it. Let it be the will of God. And so that was that was how it all just panned out. And so we started we started courting, we started going out, got to know each other better. But in the process, you know, I saw that she was a she was a woman who genuinely loved God. She was committed in the hearts, hardship of life, in the trials of life. She stayed faithful. She never wavered. This made me even more confident that this was who God had in store for me. Okay, so here, here's a good question for you. So you have, a, uh, you have an experience with uh, getting saved young, being a young disciple in the church, and then dating and then getting married young and early on in your life. So we are currently in a generation that is becoming 
more like what you described in the Asian culture where people yeah. are putting off marriage. Uh, yes. it, it's, it's come to the West also and people maybe for different reasons, um, maybe because of irresponsibility, maybe because people are more selfish or whatever the reason might be. But, um, you know, there's probably going to be people who hear this and they're being challenged that they are 20 and 25 and getting older and 30 years old. And, and uh, maybe you could speak to that young man and tell him why he needs to be serious about this if he wants to serve God. Yeah, I think time is short, man. You know, just that essence that you understand the weight that's laid upon us uh, and the reality that, you know, everything in life is time sensitive. So it's the will of God and the calling of God as well. And so I realized at that juncture in my life, um, the urgency, and maybe I speak of on, on, on my own account, but the urgency I felt at that point in time, uh, watching these world evangelism videos, observing people that were around me, uh, and, and just sensing the weight that, you know what, there are people who are going to hell because they don't have the gospel. They've not heard the gospel. And here am I being so consumed about, you know, I've got to get this in order and get that in order and get this in order. It's like someone willing to pay for the price, the pearl of a great price, uh, by just giving it all up for that purpose. And so to me, it was nonsensical that I needed to be a risk taker because I sensed the weight of the people that could be touched by a couple that was willing to go. And I think maybe to a young man or a young woman who may be battling that, I'm just speaking from my own my own account and my own encounter. I would say that you need to probably begin to contend and ask God for that burden for the lost, and and and, and that God will begin to lay it upon you, and that you will say, God, make me sensitive to the people that I could reach out to if this were to happen because in a marriage and if a marriage were to were to take place the potential and the possibilities are immense and it, and and that's what really burdened me at that point in time that's what really caught me that i don't have all the time in the world what i need to do i need to do pronto i need to do fast i need to do quick and that was the drive behind it and so that's the urgency i would say that our young men need to feel uh, and that's something that cannot be taught. I think as Pastor Mitchell said, it's something cannot be taught. It's something that needs to be caught. But if um, you would ask, if you would ask and if you would pray, I believe God will give you that burden. Open my eyes to see the way you see souls, God. Yeah, I think that's that's really um, helpful because um, what that requires is that we see beyond ourselves. That Absolutely. we're going to see beyond our own difficulties and, and failures and even our own limitations uh, or what we perceive as our own limitations yes. uh, in order to see that, you know, this is this is Moses at the burning bush. This is yeah. God. I, I'm I can't do this. You know, I, I'm, I already rejected that life and it's been 40 years and and, you know, they're not going to you know, I've been I've rejected my own people in Egypt and then I've rejected my people of of uh of of the hebrews and you know nobody there wants to see me and yes. you know he, he has so many excuses that he can give to god and i'm slow of speech and and yet after all of that god says yeah but you're still my guy 
Absolutely. <laughs> and Absolutely. you, you, yeah. you, you know, there is, there's an urgency, there is a burden, there is a task that is set Absolutely. before us. Absolutely. And I think, um, yeah, you know, the thing that when I, whenever I talk to pastors, um, I'm, I'm always blown away by this because, you know, we're, we're talking now about your story, which took place. You, you said you got saved in 2000. What was the year again? One, 2001. 2001. And so you got married. What was that year? Uh, 2010. 10. Okay. So, so, and I mean, so this is that, that period of time, you know, 12 years ago when, when you were responding to those needs before you. And, uh, so the, the thing is that now it's 2022, right? And so we have a world before us that is different than the world that it was 10 years ago, or maybe different than it was 20 years ago when I got saved or different than it was 40 years ago when pastor Campbell got saved. Those you know, men who came before us, they had to make decisions in their time. But that's also true today. Like there are men that God is saving. There's young women that God is putting together. And we can't make the decision again to serve God. We have to see uh, another generation rising up to do that. Uh, My my heart is burdened for that in this generation. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I think, and I think just to observe what is happening in the world today and just looking at the dynamics of all the, the corruption and the wickedness and the evil that is transpiring, um, it, it goes to show that there's a greater urgency today than ever before. So as, as you know, we, we've learned through the years that, you know, the worse it gets, the greater the urgency. That's and right. so here we are, here we are today, uh, uh, slacking and taking a seat, taking a step back, isn't going to be the best option right now. What we need is we need aggressive couples, aggressive men and women who will say, you know what, let it be whatever God's will is. Let's just roll, roll the dice and risk it. Go for it. Do whatever God's calling us to do. And this includes anyone in the church. It doesn't necessarily have to be someone who's going to get sent out. But even within the church, if everyone takes their place and say, you know what, the church needs to be a beacon of hope for people to come in and get saved. And if I need to play my part in the worship team, if I need to play my part in being in prayer, if I need to play my part in serving in some capacity, now is the time. It's urgent. Yeah, and it has been for the last 2,000 years. But yes. if if they if the disciples in the New Testament thought that Jesus was coming back in their time, how yeah. much more should we be uh, urgent, even even the the more so? Yes, absolutely. So, absolutely. well, okay. I, I want to jump into the next phase of your story and talk about your decision, uh, your your calling to join into the ministry and uh, and how that went. But uh, we're going to take a quick pause here, and uh, this is going to be the end of the road for our uh, free listeners, and the rest is going to be uh, for our premium subscribers. So um, we're going to take a quick break and be right back. And thanks for listening. <laughs> 